come in the front door. I remember he was saying that. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're starting um, this church plant journey together. And we want to know what the master's plan for the church is. And we want to follow his blueprint as the Bible reveals it. Um, and so that's what we've been looking at. And we called it Church Anatomy. Um, and we started looking at the framework. That's a skeleton. A skeleton, if you try to bend it, it breaks. So these are things that we don't want to break. The non-negotiables. We have a high view of God. That's a non-negotiable. Our focus is we love people. We want to serve them. We want to help them. We want to have them saved and all of those things. But the primary focus is the glory of God. We won't bend to the will of people at the cost of the glory of God because we just have such a high view of who God is as a church. And we do not negotiate on the absolute authority of Scripture. It's the end-all, be-all for us. And we will be committed to sound doctrine. What Scripture says is what we want to teach. And we will not compromise on personal holiness. I keep hearing stories of, oh, that church, yeah, it's like this, but, you know, the members are doing like that. And, you know, that church, yeah, it's got so many members and, but, you know, like they go, they leave church. No, I'm not. I, I tell people, don't tell me that. Once they start telling me that, because I don't want to, I don't want to hear the bride of Christ be slandered. But God forbid if we are those who cause that slander to happen. And a lot of times it's because of our personal holiness. And we understand that we are on the road to sanctification. We understand that we are not perfect. But it's a non-negotiable issue. Like we will die on the hill of personal holiness. <laughs> Question? Oh yes, yeah, sure. We can we can we can add that on. If Scripture has absolute authority, it's it's kind of like sufficient, right? Um, absolutely. You see that how I use the word absolutely there, two three times. And then spiritual authority in terms of church polity, that is, church of how God through Christ dispenses authority to the church and submitting to the authority, and as much as it's biblical, and as much as it conforms itself to the authority of Scripture, we will submit to church discipline and, 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 and spiritual authority that Scripture reveals to us. Those are the frameworks. Uh, this is the framework. This is the non-negotiable. And what pumps the, the life into this framework, into the skeleton, is the spiritual attitudes, those internal systems uh, we started looking at, the spiritual attitude of obedience, the spiritual attitude of humility, spiritual attitude of love, spiritual attitude of unity that we looked at last week, that oneness, and spiritual attitude of service or willingness to serve. 
self-discipline, accountability, dependence, desire for growth, and faithfulness. Those are the spiritual attitudes that we would be marked by. Um, and so we, we looked at the first four today, Lord willing, in the next 38 minutes. I want us to walk through and, and have a conversation. Really, um, this is not a sermon, um, even though there is going to be some kind of teaching. I just want to show you where this is coming from. It's coming from the Bible. There's biblical grounds to this. A healthy church would have um, this attitude of willingness to serve. And that's what I want us to, to look at together. And this, when you hand out on the back, it shows how many people, let me just pause a question and pose a question to you guys. How many of you have felt like a consumer going to church? That you just show up in church, you're blessed by the the prayer, you're blessed by the the music ministry, you're blessed by the sermon, and then the sermon ends, maybe you say hi to a couple of people, and then until next week, until you run out of gas, spiritually speaking, and then you come back and refuel, and then you go back and do the same thing, you go back and do the same thing, Right. That seems to be the trend, right? At least if it's not you, you know how that trend is. You know people that are like that. And that's dangerous. It's even deadly. And that's because there's a lack of this willingness to serve. So everybody's on the sidelines or everybody's on the bench or everybody's in the bleachers, if you will. And then I, as a pastor or a teacher would become the show. Or maybe, it's, if it's not me, it's the music ministry that comes up and there's a concert and then just a pep talk and then kind of just go in Jesus' name, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> there's prayer in the beginning and the, and the back end. And that's really dangerous. So we want to avoid that, wouldn't you say? We we don't want to start off in that in that direction. Um, by the grace of God, we already aren't. I remember a few years ago, um, I was guest preaching here when um, um, you, you guys had, or when we had now, right? Uh, um, the Saturday service, and I remember the numbers were no bigger than what I'm looking at now, or no less than what I'm looking at now, and I remember. Um, being in the front row and people behind me and when it was time to sing the whole congregation coming up almost what well, felt like the whole congregation coming up and leading us in, in worship and I remember making a remark I don't know how many of you guys remember it's really encouraging to see that the whole church is serving so by God's Grace, we are not going through that, but we want to be marked by that. And if we are a church that's marked by obedience to God's Word and the Spirit of God, if we are a church that's marked by humility, that's 
the yielding our gifts and our abilities for the sake of others. If we are a church that's marked by love, I just heard this, the coolest definition of biblical love this week, and I want to share it with you guys. It's not mine. I, I heard Vodi Bakum say it, and it just made absolute sense to me, and it describes biblical love. You guys ready? If you're taking notes, it's an act of the will accompanied with emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. That was just such a comprehensive definition of what biblical love is. It's an act of the will. So love is not dormant. It doesn't just say, I love you, I love you. It's not just emotional. But it does accompany emotion, and it leads to action on behalf of his object. And if, if we are a church that has the spiritual attitude of love, that we are actually saying we're willingly going to have an affection in our hearts for our brothers and sisters and the lost people out there to our whole community, and we're going to go out and actually share this love and show the love, right? It's going to lead us to action on behalf of our the object, who's the object of our love? It's one another. There's a kind of like a horizontal object of love, and then there's a vertical object of love, right? So it cuts both ways. If that's what marks us, if that's the spiritual attitude that we want to cultivate, and I know we keep saying this week in and week out, and every time we're saying it, whether you believe it or not, I am convinced that the Spirit is at work and He's sending deeper and deeper roots into these spiritual attitudes. So we're going to be well-grounded. So no one can come and just kind of just pull us out and make us unloving or less humble or, or less obedient. It's going, to, it's going to take some time. So that's why we're, we're keeping and we're digging deeper. And as we saw last week, if we are a church that is marked by unity, Right? That's eagerly keeping and preserving the oneness that God has already given us. We are one. Believe it or not, we are one. Like I am so happy to know that we are already one. Like whether we want to acknowledge it or not, like our unity is, is in Christ. That's it. We all have the same last name. We talked about it last, last week. Right? Like we have the name, we, we bear the name of God as our Father. You know, we were talking about kingdom and principle, and I was just like, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and I was telling them, I can get up right now, get on a plane. I mean, I can't, but I'm just, theoretically, if, you, if you'll humor me, I can get up, get on a plane, go to like, I don't know, Indonesia or something, some, somewhere remote. And you can just leave me in the middle of the city. All I got to do is just find a church and tell them I'm a, I'm a Christian. And they will accept me as one of them. I may not know what they're saying. may not understand the worship songs unless they do it in English. But I, I guarantee you, I'm willing to put, I'm not a betting man, but I'm willing to put anything on it. Why? 
because we are united. We are one in Christ. So unity is it's, it's it's what defines us. If that's what defines us, we are our job. We talked about it. Our part is our eagerly preserving the oneness that is already given to us in Christ by the Spirit. Right. So if that's what marks us. So if you're obedient, if you're humble, if you're if you love one another, and if if we're united, if we are all this. I mean, service is just a natural transition, right? You see, you kind of just, it's easy for me to serve people that, that obey the same God. It's easy for me to, to serve in humility because I'm already humble. I'm, I'm already low. I'm already yielding my gifts and abilities. Like, I'm not saying I don't have gifts and abilities. That's, that's false humility. Knowing you can give something and just being kind of like, you know, kind of false humble. That's, that's false, false humility, right? And that's going to lead you to serve. If I love my brothers the way we defined it, it's going to lead us. Our obedience to the Lord will cause us to serve. And that's where we see in Romans 1 and 1. I mean, I, w- I went through. Just uh, on. There you go. Look at what Paul defines himself as. Paul. First letter in our Bibles. I mean, that's not the first letter he wrote. Probably one of the most important ones that he he penned, but. He refers himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. So your obedience to the Lord. Right? A servant, by the way, the word used here is the word doulos. I know in the ESV it says servant. The NASB makes it bond servant. I believe that KJV and the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, would have it as slave. Because doulos is exactly that. But we shy. What does a slave have? A master. What does a slave do to to his master? And don't don't think about it in in terms of American chattel slavery. That's why bond servant is a a close enough without going into that, that translation. Bond servant of Christ. His obedience to God, his obedience to Christ automatically makes him a servant. If Jesus is Lord, by the way, our faith has been passed down from generation to generation and is now 2,000 years old, was started by that slogan Jesus is Lord in a world where People were saying, Caesar is Lord. To say Jesus was Lord was a blasphemy. Punishable by death. So a Lord would have its, his servants. So our obedience, our spiritual attitude of obedience would cause us to, 
to be servants automatically. Our humility will cause us to be obedient. I don't know if 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, is that up there? Um, can, can we change the pattern? Is it? Is it? So here's, here's what he says. Let a man, this is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ. You know who's writing this? The hardest working apostle. <laughs> I mean, you go and look at his resume in Philippians and he'll tell you, he's got all the credentials that you can think of. He's got his PhD in theological studies. You know, he's got years and years and years of experience. He's got all of that. But he says, regard us this way, though, as servants. It's not the same word that he uses here. It's not doulos. The word that he uses here is derived from the, the Greek word that would be translated as an under rower. Most of us won't know what an under rower is because we have, you know, electric ships and whatever other kind of ships, so we don't we don't have rowers. So we would, they would have rowers in, in the ships and the boats back, back then. And the lowest of the lows. So they are like in the belly of the ship, underneath everybody. And that's a place given to people captured into slavery and what have you. So it's the humblest stage. They're like li- literally physically, they're at the lowest end. It's, it's them, the bottom of the the. The, um, the ship, and then water. And then they're just down there rowing, making the, and they, they don't see the day of light or the light of day, whatever that is. I've been, today is a uh, backwards day, apparently. <laughs> right? That's the, used, that's the word that he uses. It's a sub rower, it's, Someone was saying, we are assistant servants. So they're the servants and they are the assistants to the servants. They're even a lower grade. So that, that's the humility that would lead us in, into service. Our love will cause us to serve. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is in light of the freedom that we have from the law. You are called to freedom, brothers. And this is the trap, by the way. I'm free. I don't, there's no law. You can't make me serve. You can't, you can't make me do this. It's not because of this. Yeah, absolutely, you'd be right in thinking that service is not going to save you. 
or doing things in church or for the church or for people is not what saves you. You're free from that. Absolutely. So we're called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I mean, it doesn't get any realer than this. Because what do we use our freedom? Especially in the evangelical churches. Right? We're so free. We're so not structured as opposed to the Catholic Church. And there's no like catechisms and, and what have you. There's no structure that's that's guiding you from here. No, you have to do this to, to get to this stage. There's no institution, so to speak. Why? Because we're free in Christ. Yes, we are. But really. We only pull out that card when it's time to actually do the work and be obedient and be loving and be humble and unite and act in oneness and be eager to, to preserve. We only pull out that card when, when, it's, when it's that. Because we're using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And what does the flesh want? Whatever it wants. <laughs> like, who knows? Like, what my flesh wants now is not what my flesh is going to want in two days. I mean, we can call it convenience, ease of life, right? So whatever it is, and that's why we have what we talked about earlier. We have that consumer mentality because everybody in the pews and the seats is free. Everybody who serves for some reason, it's not free, I guess. Right? I mean, think about it practically. Is the person that's preparing the sermon not free? Is, this, is the person not have the same freedom as the people that are coming in and, and just slipping out and then whenever they feel like it, they can come back in? Is it, do, they, do they not have the same freedom? As the people who greet people at the door and just say, hey, look, I mean, I've seen people greet at churches who are like five-star generals. I'm serious. And their service, I'm, 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 and I'm not saying like that gives them a, a level of credit or whatever, but like, but they're greeters on Sunday. They're, they're part of the hospitality team on Sunday. And on a Monday, they got thousands and thousands of troops saluting them and calling them sir and, and, and then just trembling at their sight even. Are they not, do they not have the same freedom in Christ to just show up? get blessed by the service and by the church, whatever the church provides, and then leave? No. It's because we are using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, even though that says only do not use it that way. So the freedom that we have, how should we use it? The word but. Right? You see the contrast? Use your freedom... Through love to serve one another. So if we do have that love in our church, the way that we do 
say we have it and we're cultivating that, that would lead us to serve. Our unity. Our oneness that we talked about. For this, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I, I, and that's, that's why we're even looking at the, the anatomy of the church, right? It's because the church is the body of Christ. And I kind of just want to walk through with you, show you that if a body is one, and we have this oneness given to us in Christ, because we do, picking it up in verse 12, I'm in 2 Corinthians, and I'm like, wait, that's not the same. <sighs> For just as the body is, what does it say? Has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. Do we have any quarrels about the unity that each member the Remnant Bible Church would have? Our oneness. Can we dispute that? We can't dispute that. There's, there's this oneness. Because verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, or Greeks, slaves, or free, that all are made to drink of one spirit. What is that word that, that comes up over and over and over again? One. That's that unity that we talked about last week, the oneness. The idea of unity is not uniformity, and it's not everybody doing the same thing at the same time. And Paul argues, and he says, no, not everybody can be an I. There's individuality, there's uniqueness within the body. Each member brings something different because the foot can't say to the eye, I want to be an eye. Then where are we going? <laughs> can't go anywhere. Yet there's this oneness about us. Skip over to verse 24. This argument between that, you can, you can read that in verse 24. Really, the second part of verse 24 that I, I want to see, I, I want us to see. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. It goes back to what we talked about last week. That there may be no division in the body. No division is another word for what? Unity. But that the members may have the same care for one another. What does that sound like? Unity, that no division is given to us by God. This is not something that we work up by, by me kind of trying to like encourage you and like influence you by using 
some kind of clever words. This is something that God himself has composed. He's composed it. I, I, that's it. Like we have received this body from God. We're not starting a church from scratch and then trying to unite people that can never be united and trying to mix water and oil and then maybe we need to turn up the, the dial on the, on the heat so that they can boil and then that's, that's how, and then you, you have another thing that comes in and maybe we need to put soap in it and then, and then they'll mix. We don't have to do all of that. The unity and the oneness has already been given to God. God is, has designed it. He's composed this body. We are just eagerly preserving it. How do we do that? By no division, by caring the same way for one another. What is the same way? You can read um, the, the portions that we skipped in verses 14 through 23 because our unity would cause us to serve. Going back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, we were in unity in Ephesians chapter 4 last, last week, right? And we finished. Oh, it's not up there? Okay, it is? Oh, okay. So after Paul talks about how we are one and we have unity and we are to preserve the unity, here's how he finishes. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is that? What is the gift of Christ? You can continue to read on. And that gift is prophets, the apostles, evangelists, Pastors, teachers. As he ascended, he gave gifts to the church, he says. So we have the scripture given to us by the prophets and the apostles. And those who evangelized us, who received the gospel from. And then we have this church. This is a gift that God gives to the church according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the gift of grace given to us to keep this unity of the Spirit is done and it results in, really, go, going down to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. I don't think that's up there. It's to equip the saints for work of service. That's what God gives the gifts. One of the reasons why God gives apostles, God, Christ has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors so that we can equip the members of the church for service. So unity leads into service. So we can conclude based on this that a biblical church, a church that we are handed, or a church that we are becoming, if you will, because the church is not an institution. Like, like you are the church, Sadhguru. You are the church. Like when people think of Remnant Bible Church, there there's faces behind them. It's not just this building fifty four eleven, Franconia Road, or wherever the Lord would have us next. It's not the organization that has a tax ID or whatever, it's not a number. It's actual people. 
and this biblical church that we are faithfully receiving and being built up to become displays this spiritual attitude of willingness to serve. I want to quickly consider a few questions, but I want to pause here and see if I can answer any questions you may have. Yes. Sure. Yes. To like to the it's okay not to serve for a season. It might even be wise not to serve for a season. Absolutely. Um there are there are a few things to, to guard against too. It's like you can't just rush everybody into service without equipping them. If they're not equipped, they can't serve or they'll end up messing up. But yeah, absolutely. There, there are. It's it's not an end all be all. Um, it's not, I'm not saying that there's not a season in your life that you may need to step back from serving. I mean, in fact, Jesus tells we have a, a great example of Jesus sitting at uh, Martha and Mary's house, and Martha is running all over the place. Doing what needs to be done, serving, which is not a good, which is not a bad thing in and of itself, and and the Lord does acknowledge that, while the whole time Mary is just sitting there, being a consumer. If you, I don't like the word either, but that's that's what it is, right? And that's that's what it's turning out to be, and and I can't stand to see it turn out to be that way, um, but, and then Martha gets frustrated and says, hey. Tell my sister, don't you see? Don't she? See, doesn't she see? Like, can you tell her? And he says, "Oh, you're worried about the wrong things." And she is doing what is necessary. Only one thing is necessary, right? So it's it's from that service comes. Doesn't mean that Mary didn't serve after that. So there could be a season where the priority is just to sit at the. Lord Jesus. In fact, we did that with our music ministry in the past summer. Came in here, I said, right? Your head popped up. You're like, wait, you're talking about me now. This is personal. <laughs> right? We said, hey, don't be Martha's. Be Mary's. Take as long as you need and just sit at the feet of the Lord. So yeah, absolutely. And we had our uh, brother YouTube lead us into music worship for, for a season, right? <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. What's your other question? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's that's a really good question. That is a really good question. 
and I will give you the answer when I figure it out myself. No. <laughs> um, I think if a church is serving one another, right? If that culture of service is just abundant among each member, right? You won't necessarily burn out because burnout is an overexertion of one area, right? If I, if I just stand on one leg the whole time I'm talking to you, like money would give out. But if, if my whole, my other leg comes alongside and helps carry a little bit of the load, there's going to be a rhythm where like after this, I'm going to sit down and like my legs will get rest if you will. So I'm I'm giving you that analogy to to say if everyone is serving one another and we'll touch on it, what that actually looks like practically and biblically, then the likelihood of burning out, no one is overexerting themselves, right? No one is like just cranking out two sermons per week and then becomes a sermon-making machine and, and not being served. And, <laughs> you know, like, and it, this, is, this is personal to me, obviously, you can kind of tell, but, like, it does become tiresome. Ask Basu, he's been preaching for two weeks now, right? There's, there's effort that goes into that if we, if we are faithful to that, right? But if they're serving, if we have brothers like Basu, that allows me, hey, look, I don't have to burn out. Next two weeks, now it's going to do it. So Basu doesn't have to burn out. Like, and the same thing with music ministry, right? And there is a burnout if we overexert it. But if everybody's serving, if everybody is contributing to the whole, to the one body, then the whole body doesn't have to suffer burnout. That unity, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. So, as we see this spiritual attitude of willingness to serve being uh, an important aspect of a church, I want us to consider a few questions together. One is, who does the church serve? Is the service there? Who, who does the church serve? I think this is easy for us to answer, but I'll answer it for us anyways. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Ultimately, we serve the Lord. We serve God primarily and then serve people. It's, it's both and. It's not either or. And the reason I'm presenting this is because we get so focused in serving people. And people, I don't know about you guys, people are kind of tricky. They have this thing in them called sin and this makes it really really hard to serve them sometimes so if we are just people serving focused and our primary a primary goal of service or a primary object of service is not unto the lord and it's always unto people then burnout can happen resentment can build and all the things that we talk about all the other it just unravels it. So 
serving God primarily and then serving people. And First Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, both gives us a biblical grounds for this and it explains um, even the two categories of service that all believers should be engaged in. Here's what it says above. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. These are really practical things, right? As such as received a gift, use it To do what? To serve one another. As good stewards of the gift to other people. Is that what it says? As good stewards of God's varied grace. Primarily, we receive from God and our service is back to God and we even know we're serving one another. Here's the two categories of, of, of um, service in the church, or gifts even, right? I mean, Paul has a whole list because, you know, he has a PhD. He's a very learned man, so he can, he can list, list, as we'll see in a, in a, little, in a little while. Peter, he's, he's got an economy of words that says, okay, whoever speaks, verse 11, And then whoever serves, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So God is the object, the primary object of our service. But he gives us two categories. There's a speaking gift. There's a serving gift, if you will. I mean, a speaking gift, you can talk about like wisdom, knowledge, preaching and teaching, evangelism. Those things that require you to actually open your mouth and serve people by. And there's the serving gifts. Those are the ones that you really don't see, but it's really necessary. like the giving, the mercy, those things happen outside of congregational worship time, mostly. Or even then, you might even have like people, like hospitality teams, people welcoming people, people knowing who people are and, and, and meeting the needs and, and praying for them. Those are the categories. You, I guarantee you, not because... I have any authority to guarantee you that, but based on what I see in the scripture, everybody in this room falls into one of those two categories. You either have a gift of speaking or a gift of serving. You either like being in the background and just helping out with the slides or preparing whatever, the tea, the coffee there. All of those things are necessary. Or you have the gift of speaking and 
in opening the Bible and just seeing the truth of God jump out and you can't sit until you tell somebody about it. Or God has given you a voice. Sounds like an angel. I mean, I think my voice kind of sounds like an angel too. It's just, just on a spectrum. <laughs> when I sing, I don't know. But you can use that to, to serve people. That's, you use your voice, you use your speech, you use the words of, of God. I, I appreciate y'all, man. This is, this is, this is awesome. Yeah, that, that gives me such a vote of confidence. Next time, I'm just going to mime the songs. No. I remember when I first got here, the music team telling me, uh, music ministry telling me, hey, we only hear you because I usually stand up front. I'm, I'm singing, whatever. If I don't know the lyrics or the rhythm, I'm, I'm catching on, whatever. I'm, I won't stop. I was trying to get me I was trying to see if they would adopt me into their ministry, but they're wiser than I. But ultimately <laughs> um, ultimately God desires for his church to be willing servants. And what Dr. John MacArthur calls in his book hot shots, because everybody wants to be a hot shot. Everybody wanna be a pulpit. I mean, if you have the gift. At this church, if you have the gift of teaching, even if I sense that you have a gift of teaching, my job is to equip you and then and just stepping down and seeing what God would teach me through you. You just made my job a lot easier. Save me from burnout. If you have a gift. Because everybody wants to be seen, right? That's, everybody wants to be recognized. But not everybody's gifted in that way. And if you are gifted that way, that's where you... But what God wants is willing servants who desire to serve Him and His people. And Romans 12, 4 through 8 expands on this two categories and gives us a blueprint that service doesn't necessarily have to happen only during congregational service or church programs or church events or activities it can happen anywhere for as in when he, uh, uh, for as in one body we have many members paul says and the members do not have the same function remember not all of us can be preachers then we'll just be criticizing each other's sermons not everybody can be singers i mean kind of have to be but leading people of God in, in singing, like we need to know, like, I can't just pick up this guitar and be like, just start strumming away. It just becomes noise, right? It doesn't need worship. It doesn't, we can't be that. We don't have the same function. We all have, though we are many, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And it's okay to have different gifts, guys. It's okay. So what should we do? Let us use them. 
Let's just not sit on the gift that God has given us. Let us use them. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. If one teaches, in his teaching. If the one exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. I mean, here's one of the lists. There's other lists. So what Paul is saying is service is the use of your God-given abilities. Service is the use of your God-given gifts to minister to others as the Holy Spirit empowers you. That's what it is. It doesn't get any simpler than that. I mean, what is the gift that God has given you? And as soon as you use that to serve and minister to, to, to others, guess what? You just use your spiritual gift. <laughs> however you pick up that gift, however you discover that gift, whatever. And it doesn't always have to be the hot shot. It doesn't have to be in, in this setting. Because ultimately we all have the indwelling Holy Spirit who enables us to express these different abilities, this different interests, these different talents, these different passions. And it doesn't have to be an, an activity that's sanctioned by the church. This is a practical example. Some of you may remember this a few weeks ago. We finished the church um, activity, actually, uh, some brothers and, and, and I, and we met up with one of our sisters who needed um, windshield wipers changed. Whoa. That was, that was a burden. I mean, some of you would hear that and like, windshield wipers changed. That's, how, how can, well, that was, that was burdensome. And we just said, all right, cool. We met at Walmart parking lot. Bought the thing. Figured it out. Put it on. Done. What do you call that? Service. <laughs> That's it. It doesn't have to be in a church setting. I mean, it, I mean, you can think of multiple ways. Any activity that you do, any time you... By the way, it's not because I was, I'm a gifted mechanic. It's just somebody had, had that talent and that gift and that interest in cars. It's like, oh, I know somebody. That's a part of us. Yeah, he knows. Oh, fine. Let's, let's, just, let's just do that. And then we just met up and did it. I mean, look at the room that we're sitting in. This renovation project, probably if we hired a contractor, probably cost us a couple of thousand dollars easy. We did it in under $400, and under $500. Why? Because Giannis came, Colin came, 
Tel came, El came, Naot came, Al came, Trinity came even. Right? <laughs> Isn't the picture? Did you come? Yeah, you Sidor came. I came, Sam came. A lot of people just they just came and picked up one thing and they started painting one way. And we somebody would lead and just say, Okay, don't paint that. Don't fill that one. No, that's not how you paint. Don't paint over this one. Tape it first. And and before you know it, we have what is that? Service. We serve one another. Did anybody burn out from that? It took us a whole week. I wasn't burnt out. I was actually like I grew to love everyone that came out even deeper in that in that experience. And we did that this I mean you guys did it. I was I was out of town when you guys did the, the library. And then we did that again. Spiritual gift, yeah, we have the spiritual gift of carpentry. <laughs> Some of us work with our hands. We know kind of what we're doing. We're not experts. Or play one on TV. But you know, we know how to pour paint and paint it, whatever. But that's that's how we serve one another. It doesn't have to be that way. Whatever your interests and your talents and your passions are, when you use those for the benefit of one another in the context, we are cultivating the spiritual attitude of service. few things I would say and then I'll, I'll finish one is willingness to serve is necessary we don't want to serve God out of compulsion coercion or manipulation we want to be willing servants and willing servants are servants that consider serving a privilege like, can you imagine what we're called to do? To serve God and His people is such a, priv- a privilege that is afforded to us. We are participating in the eternal purpose of God, and God deems or seem, sees fit that my ability to, to pick up a paintbrush is going to serve somebody, have a better worship experience. I'm actually participating in the eternal purpose of God in serving. It is a privilege that is not afforded for everybody. People tend to forget that now. Then you gotta do scan the QR code. You gotta bribe them with the money, and you know, like whatever. And I, I get it. There's nuances there, so I'm oversimplifying and generalizing. I, I get it. But the overall, where where is the hearts, where where is the heart leaning towards? Like, do you consider the call to serve? If you have the gift in that area, a privilege, or do you consider it a privilege of the church that they get to experience that? Like, is it something that you're doing for them? for the church. I think we think more like the latter than the prior. 
It's like I'm really needed in this area, and if I'm not there, then everything crumbles. Let me encourage you. The church of Christ is the church of Christ. He is the one building the church. He don't need me. That's bad grammar, I know, but I want to emphasize it. You don't need any one of us. God didn't need creation. Now it's a privilege. He's created us in works. And I know I'm kind of swinging the pendulum to the other side. and I know it's coming. I know it's coming. What do you mean you don't need me? No, it's necessary. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to establish the grounds by which we're, like, the primary focus is not what we do. The primary focus is who God is. Service is rooted in who God is to us and the privilege that we have in Him. Because then we can get into hypotheticals. So if we didn't, yeah, sure. In an alternate universe, absolutely, we may, we may have, like rocks and stuff like that, t- telling the glory of God. I mean, they do, actually, even in our universe. Creation is actually telling us the glory of God. Uh, I mean, read Psalm 19 if you don't believe me. But there is a specific privilege that is afforded to us. And we need to see as a culture, as, as, as a spiritual attitude for a church plant, we just need to have that spiritual attitude. Like to serve is an honor and a privilege that God affords to us and we're participating in the eternal purpose of God. Did I answer your question? <laughs> or you're going to answer your question? Watch. He's about to answer his question. Go ahead. Yeah. I feel like we do that in Paul, which is like, the kingdoms I'm laying down to Right. Right. Am I not allowed to marry or something? Right. So how would you say we do what you were mentioning? Yeah. At the same time, not thinking like, hey, we are often ourselves. Yeah. That, that, that ties back to what we define humility to be, right? Like, we're not going to be false humble. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question, by the way? It's like, yeah, sure, like, I'm a leg, and the body will not be full without, like, I, I, like if I don't have a leg, I'm, I'm going to be hopping around or I'm going to need crutches, right? So it isn't, you do play an essential role in the function of the body, but in and of yourself, you are not the body. In and of yourself, like, so there's, there's that built-in balance that guards us from, from pride 
and false humility on the other side. Does that make sense? That's the first time I've I've heard this brother ask a question that didn't answer it itself. <laughs> okay. Self-serving him without coercion, compulsion, or manipulation. Because service is closely knitted with discipleship. And here's, I think, that might even answer the question. Willingness to serve really marks a true disciple of Christ. Discipleship and service are really closely related. And if we know anything about true discipleship, we know that true discipleship comes at a cost. Mark 9, 33-37, Jesus tells us, not only what marks a true disciple, but serving is what makes one a great disciple. If you want to be great in the kingdom, serve. In fact, I'm going to bring you one child. and You see, you see this little child that all you do to children, by the way, is serve them when you have them. I mean, they can get old and you can send them to go get the remote and stuff like that. But when, when, when they're kids, majority of it is just your life is service as a parent. Uh, anyone that receives such like this is the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus says in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. It's, it's tied, the, the, the mark of a true disciple and, and service is tied together. True disciples are those who are, who, who would count a cost and are willing to follow Jesus. Luke 14, 33, Jesus says, So then none of you can be my disciples who, do, who does not give up all his possessions. I'm not saying everybody just go bankrupt. That's not what Jesus is saying. If discipleship and service are, what are the things I'm, I'm thinking practically here? I want us to put our practical thinking caps on for a second. What are the things that are holding you back from serving? Mostly. Why are you unwilling to serve? Time. Money. Self-confidence, self-worth, those things. Self-esteem. You got to sit down and count it. Okay, on one hand, I got my money, I got my time, I got my job, I got this and I got that. And I, I don't want anybody to touch, to touch those things. That's, that's my comfort zone. As long as these things aren't touched, I'm willing to serve God. It's kind of like the guy that said, I'll follow you wherever you go, Lord. But just hold on one second. Let me go bury my, my dad. Let me just handle my, my business right quick. And what did Jesus say? You remember? No one is worthy of me. 
who wants to come after me while he still has one hand. You, you can't be like, you can't have two masters essentially. Same, same principle applies for service. Count the cost. Service comes at a cost. This includes the willingness to serve. When we serve, there's a cost we must incur. We have to know that. So when we say we need to cultivate this, this spiritual attitude of service, I'm not discounting the prices that we have to pay. Trust me, if anyone knows, I know. But even the price that we pay is a privilege to be considered worth it to participate in the suffering of Christ. It's going to cause you to suffer. You're not going to make as much money. You may not have as much time to hang out and and finish your um, binging your um, Netflix show, whatever. Like you might not have time to go to the gym as much or you may not, whatever, fill in the blank. Sure. And that's going to cause a level of suffering. But even that is a privilege. You're like you're becoming more like Jesus Christ because you're you're actually suffering for the, for the sake of Him, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of His people. That's what Jesus did. He came down. And he suffered for the sake of us. So we need to be wary of. The danger of convenience, I want to point these things out. Self-esteem, self-confidence, those things are really the practical things that are that would erode an attitude of serving. Convenience, self-esteem, self-confidence, many more. And the enemy uses that as a weapon as well. And that's what he would use. I want to tell you this up front, going through the front door, right? Once you're committed to, to and willing to serve, there's going to be a, a rocket launcher called convenience. Enemy's going to come. He's going to sh- shoot that launcher. But that's not convenient. Look how convenient their life is. They're like, yeah, why, why, why is my life not convenient enough? Oh, you're not doing it like them over there. That's the machine gun named self-confidence, self-esteem. You're not, like, how, how are you going to do what they do? And, it, and you start doubting your, your, do you know who your father is, friends? He is the king of the universe. Even the one who has that, that, that machine gun or that rocket launcher, he owns him. He's already defeated him, in fact. He's abundantly giving you grace beyond what you can even think. But he will aim at that and start shooting in that direction. Maybe he'll make you self-confident. 
did a great job serving that person, man. Like, go out there and post about it and watch the likes rise up. And then for a week, you just live off a high of, yeah, look how great of a servant I am. Look how great of a sermon I preached. Or look how amazing, how many people were crying because they, the song that we were singing was just the spirit was moving and, and worship or whatever. And then we just become lofty and we become self-confident. And he would use that. There's danger in that. So I want us to, to know about this. few guardrails, if you will, that I want to put before us is don't confuse service for salvation. Don't confuse your acts of service, whether you think it's from to God or whether it's to, to people, it's not what saves you. Romans 7, 21 to 23 Actually, I didn't mean to say Romans seven twenty one to twenty three. I meant to say Matthew seven twenty one to twenty three. It's in my notes as Romans. I don't know why, but many would come to me and say, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name?" Sounds like service in Jesus' name. Did we not cast out demons and did miracles in your name? And Jesus would say to them, "What? I never knew you away from me, you workers of iniquity." Don't confuse your service for salvation. Salvation only comes by grace alone, Christ alone, and faith alone in Him. Secondly, don't use service as a sole means of your sanctification. If the only time that you're coming in contact with, with the Word of God, if only time that you're praying is when you're serving or to serve, that can't be the only means of your sanctification. If the only thing that encourages you is your service, newsflash, Jesus told his disciples to go out and gave them power. At 72, he sends them in Luke, in Luke 10, right? He sends them out. He gives them power to cast out demons. And they come back. Yo, Excited. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Don't forget, like, this is, this, this is like, what? You got excited? Like, I was like. Behold, I have given you authority to tread in serpents, scorpions, and all over the power of the enemy. Nevertheless, verse 20. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Some translations say, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. So we don't want to just use service as a means as the only means, I mean, service can be used as a means of sanctification, absolutely, 
you can serve others and you'll get encouraged and somebody encourages you and you encourage others and then you're kind of being edified and you're being sanctified as you as you study for sermons as you as you pray to 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 prepare for uh, like what songs to preach as you pray to lead prayer service right whatever whatever you're serving as you pray for sick people that you're being sanctified that cannot be the only time that you come in contact with God in his presence that's what i mean by that I know it's so, it's like, yeah, Manny, like you just told me one plus one is equals two. The sky is blue. Like might as well just tell me that. You might be saying that. But practically, what does that look like? If we are honest, and I put myself on the chopping block, there's been weeks where the only scripture that I studied was the scripture that I was going to. The only scripture that I meditated on was the scripture that I was going to preach on that week. Again, there could be seasons that are like that. There could be weeks that are like that. I'm not saying God is going to wipe my name uh, from, from the book of life because it's not my service that saves me. It's only faith in Christ that saves me. But we cannot use our service as the only means of sanctification. Last danger or guardrail that I want us to to be aware of or put before you as we cultivate this spiritual attitude of service within our church as we build, as we bake that in. Don't replace service for worship or don't idolize service. And it's so subtle. I heard, I think it was um, Paul Washer say this. You don't love the church. You worship your ministry. He was talking to a bunch of pastors when he says that. I mean, that's what we're dressed as. We love the church. We love the church. Like, do we really, though? Are we worshiping our ministry? Is that all that we're giving ourselves to? So service cannot be the object of your worship. Service cannot be the end. Like, the reason you're serving is not just to serve. That's the point. The reason that you're serving is to, through your service, Worship God. So service is a means, not an end of, in and of itself. Does that make sense? And there is a danger. It might not be this way right now because it's only like a few of us that are starting this thing together. But as it grows, as people come in, what is the culture that they are going to get? As, for instance, if this doesn't excite you, and I know we're probably going to finish here in a, in a minute, and we're going to go visit another another church. Some of us are, and we're going to see. I don't know what 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 we're there, but this is exciting. We get to actually see from the beginning, how the Lord forms this church 
And what we're doing is we're, that image again, setting our roots deeper. We're setting our roots deeper so that we can just, when the fruit comes, we have the bearing, we can actually have the stump to hold it. (laughs) So the the littlest snowstorm or windstorm doesn't just knock us out. And you ever seen those trees on the side of the road? where it's not like the limbs that are that are broken off. It's actually like they're rooted out of the ground. The root is actually hanging out. We don't want to be that. We want to be really rooted in the truth. And that takes time. And no one sees that. When is the last time you saw, like, how long a tree's root, roots are? I mean, barely... I haven't seen one unless something like that, what I just explained, happens. But I I didn't see limbs fall off of the tree. I didn't see the the leaves turn from one color to another color. All of those things. You can see that. It bear fruit and flowers and all those things, season after season after season after season. But what's unseen is the rooting process. One, don't be discouraged. Because you don't see the, you know, the pretty leaves, autumn, autumn leaves have no meanings. Shout out to my wife. Or the flowers that blossom or the, or the fruit that it bears and you eat of it. It's, it it'll come. But it only comes. Like, you can only grow as deep your roots are. You can only bear fruit as well network your root system is. I mean, I'm no botanist, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I mean, somebody's going to ask, what is it, chat GBT, to see if that's true. Or Google. Whichever one. But that's what that's what the Lord has us doing. And we do not want to replace service for worship. Service is the means by which we worship God. Service is the means by which we express the worthiness of God to one another, and to the world, to the whole community. So you see that in your handout. If you don't have, who, who doesn't have a handout, by the way? Got one? Oh, you got one too? You see that? That is our... What we affirm there at the end. Just... And we have... We have what, five of these, six of these floating around? If you need a copy, we'll, we'll give you one. This is our commitment, is to use the gifts and abilities that the Lord has given to us to serve others in our community. That is what we're committed to, to bring honor to God.
I'll amend that. I bring glory to, to God and honor to Christ. Right? That's what's missing at the end. Questions? Comments or conundrums? Let me give him an opportunity. Yeah. That's, that's a really good question. How do we make it practical to our lives, essentially? What we just talked about and what we've been talking about. You just got to do it, man. Like, just have a Nike attitude. <laughs> right? Just do it. Like, honestly, it doesn't get any simpler than that. We can talk about it all we want. We went and had a, a training yesterday on engaging our community with the gospel. And the guy said the same thing. Unless you go out and actually engage your community in the way that we just trained you, even though we were only there for a day, they were really kind to remind us, more specifically me, to remind us that we weren't there the day before and we missed so much already. They're so kind. But if you don't actually engage, right? If you don't actually be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and be a member of, be members of one body, if we're not actually like collaborating or cooperating as parts of the body and like knowing, hey, Dole, what's happening? How's your knee? Like, did you know that was happening? No, you don't. Okay, oh, fine. Not everybody needs to know, but now everybody knows. Sorry to put your business out there. <laughs> but unless we actually do life together, outside of, like, if the only time that I see you, 
I hope you're a Christian and forgive me, right? For Thursday. <laughs> but unless we actually like sit down and 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 know each other and see what everybody's because service does take a level of vulnerability. Like like you're literally saying, I'm at your service. You can use me however you want to, Lord. And I have no, like I'm yielding my, my rights to self-governance. Talking about the American culture, right? I'm, I'm yielding my individualistic rights of 21st century Western culture for the sake of the community of the body of Christ. That's what we're doing. It does take a level of vulnerability, but we need to know. We need to know one another. I think those, that partners discipleship, one-on-one discipleship, is one way that we can cultivate that. Small groups is another one. But just calling each other, texting each other, whatever, snapping, whatever it is that everybody does these days, right? It's like Instagramming. Is that is that even a thing? <laughs> whatever, like remaining connected. We cannot be disconnected. Like, if you are hurting, like, I may not need to know directly, but somewhere down the line, I need, I need to know. Like, someone that knows, that, that is closer to you, needs to communicate to whoever is closer to them, needs to communicate, and the whole body needs to know. And then the whole body needs to pay attention to you. And that's, that's the design of the church. That's why the apostles started uh, the, the ministry of uh, deacons. Was, we, did, we shouldn't wait until there's quarrels among us and just be like, okay, what's, what's, what's the fire here? We shouldn't wait. When things, and I know, and uh, coming back to the American culture, we're we're self-determined. Like a weakness to say, dude, I just I just don't have it this week. C- can you help me? That's weakness for our culture now. Help me. What do you what do you like? But that's not the church. That's not like your whole salvation is based on that. I can't save myself. Help me, God. I don't have what it takes to get to heaven. Help me, God. How do you how do you make that the entrance, and the rest of your life is like, yeah, I got it all together now. Yeah, <laughs> little peasants figure it out. <laughs> that can't that can't be it. You you either hasn't gone in the the right way, or like you need you need to come back down to earth, or you're being a hypocrite altogether. So in our community, and this is the beauty of the small beginnings. Like I can get to know, I can sit and introduce Mediterranean food to some people that never had Mediterranean food and just just expand their palates and actually get to know the person. Right? 
Like we can, we can sit and, and drive together 45 minutes to a training and just talk about the things that are going on in our life. And then something slips out. Oh, there's a need there. I can pray for you about that. And better yet, guess what? I, I may even know somebody that knows somebody that can, that can make this happen and resolve that. It's, it's the beauty of small groups. We're not trying to, like, here's one of my prayers. I don't want a thousand people in, that, in our church. Amen? It's hard enough to shepherd 25. Truly shepherd them, though. A thousand? I know the Lord would give grace, whatever. But we would rather be like a church of 70 that plants another church of 70 that plants another church of 70 that church. And then just be like a whole network of churches all over the place that are just 70 people each. Because that's, that's manageable. That We can do life together. We can actually serve the way that we want to serve and live the Christian life together and actually impact and have transformational lives. So though we are in the world, we are not of the world. Coming back to the question that God asked. Yes, that's the American culture. That's the Western culture. Fine, great, amazing. I'm, I'm grateful to be an American. I'm, I'm happy that God has brought me to this land and, and, and established my life here. I'm, I'm grateful. But he didn't bring us here so that we can conform to the culture of the nature. He brought us here, or he made, we were born here, for those of us who were born here, so that we can bring the gospel to the culture and transform the culture into the gospel. And that's the church that we're planting, a biblical church that we're trying to plant. And I don't know if I went off on a tangent. I got really passionate about it. But, <laughs> but it just comes to what we're doing, essentially. Um, and I don't know if that, that's what the practice, just do it. That's the short answer. I should have just kept it there. Just do it. You want to serve somebody? Somebody comes to your heart? Take out your phone. Where's my phone? Take out your phone. Text them. You don't know somebody that's in here, you see him for the first time, and you're kind of like, I don't know what to say. Hi, my name is such and such. I mean, that's what I teach my, my kids when, when they want to make friends. Oh, I don't want to go play. What, what do their parents tell you? Go over there and tell them your name and ask them if they want to play. Hi, my name is such and such. What's your name? Good to see you. That's it. If you have their number, reach out to them. But this practice, it doesn't get any... It's inconvenient sometimes. Sure. But God gives, God gives grace. I think, Ruth, you had another question. Yes. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. 
I think that's a good kind of interest interest reminder yep. that yeah you know you said um who do we serve God and people if if we are truly serving God then our works are in front of him like he sees everything yep so it just comes to Amen. Yeah, I, that was the missing part of my heavenly rewards. And uh, I meant to put that in there, not Hebrews 6. I was thinking of Jesus talking about his imminent return and, you know, the sheep and the goats. And he would tell them, the sheep, those who are on his right, Enter into the kingdom who has been prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And then he gives them their reward. And the reward is, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me water. And I was, I needed clothes and you clothed me. And I was in prison and you visited me. You know. And you, on the other side, didn't do these things. And both of them asked the same question. What, what did we do? Like, when did we see you in need of food or in need of water, in need of clothes or in need of companion? And what does he tell them? To both groups, one getting a reward of eternal and, and, and eternal kingdom, one getting a consequence, if you will, punishment, and eternal damnation. What does he tell him? Turn with me. It's Matthew chapter 25. I, I really... Uh, Hebrews 6 is an explanation of Matthew 25. <laughs> or vice versa. End of Matthew 25. Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not it do it unto one of this least, you did not do it unto me. And then the, the reverse is true as well. So we do have an eternal reward for service. A reward that... that no time would be too short to enjoy. No pleasure would ever be able to match. No money could ever be equal to. So we serve from that, from that direction. So thank you for um, adding that on. See, this is what the church needs. She just served the church. You know, I'm happy. Yeah. Can you check and see what they need? Please. Thank you. So let's pray if there's no more questions. Yeah. And finish. <laughs>